Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns, the pre-sales edition of the 33 CXOs. Today, we welcome Devaka Prabhakar. Having taken leadership roles with a long line of highly successful organizations that include Blade Logic, BMC, Medallia, and App Dynamics, he is now Vice President of Solution Consulting at Sprinkler. In this episode, we discover how Devaka applies the principles of the McMahon playbook within diverse technical domains to forge partnerships with some of the most prolific CROs in the history of technology. This is his playbook. edition of the 33 CXOs, we discover the crucial role that the pre-sales organization played in what is regarded as the greatest success story in the history of software sales. When John McMahon reunited the team at BladeLogic, he had a clear vision to create a sales and pre-sales organization that was in absolute unison. The symbiotic and almost telepathic sales rhythm is the benchmark for best practice. The outcome is not only execution excellence, but a shift to a value mindset which transcends any shift in technology. The pre-sales team now take executive positions at some of the fastest, most disruptive technology companies in the world. What we discover is that John McMahon's vision has not only changed how we sell, it's changed what we sell. Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns, the pre-sales edition of the 33 CXOs. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host Patrick Harrison. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's an absolute honour to be joined today by Devaka Prabhakar. Devaka, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us, Devaka. It's a pleasure. Likewise, yeah. So for our listeners and for our viewers, in the way of an introduction, Devaka, you're currently Vice President of Solution Consulting at Sprinkler. Um, obviously, it's a playbook company led by, uh, by Luca Lazaron, who's, who's uh, one of the 33 CXOs, um, which is all part of the story that we're obviously telling. But whilst we are going to spend a bit of time talking about Sprinkler, I do want to go right to the beginning and really get to where the journey really began for you. So, Devaka, where did your passion for technology begin? Um, right, right from high school, right? So I've always uh, been meddling with technology and, you know, I, I, you know, I, have, my, I have my bachelor's in engineering. Um, so I knew technology was, uh, you know, in, in my future, but I had no idea uh, what I was going to be doing in technology, right? I mean, um, by the time I finished my bachelor's and master's, I, I, I knew I wanted a paycheck. Uh, and that's all I cared about at that point, right? Um, uh, but, you know, I had no idea that uh, whatever I did then, I could connect the dots to where I am today. Uh, it, was, it was too much of a stretch. Mm. And so in, in terms of straight out of um, university, obviously, you, you graduated with a master's, as you, as you kind of mentioned. What was your first role um, straight out of college? My first week? 
was actually unloading boxes from the warehouse, which is a bunch of computers. <laughs> and uh, so here I am thinking I have a master's in electrical engineering and I'm unloading boxes, but I'm like, hey man, I'm getting a paycheck, so I shouldn't complain, I'm just gonna do this. Um, and actually it was fun, right? Because uh, looking back, uh, the work I did uh, the first couple of months, uh, it wasn't just unloading boxes, but it was also installing operating systems in those boxes, right? And uh, obviously I had no experience uh, doing that, but you know, that experience uh, basically set me up for Blade Logic uh, a few years later. Mm. Um, you never know these small uh, tasks or projects that uh, you've given um, and, and how these small ripples have a big effect later on in your career. Uh, I, can, I can connect those thoughts uh, looking back. Yeah, fantastic. It was actually a customer support role officially? Yeah, it was a customer support role. I was working as a, as a consultant for the U.S. Department of Labor in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, I, was, I was there for, I think, maybe three, three and a half years, something like that. But uh, wow. first job out of uh, college. So you do what you can to get a paycheck, like I said, and, and, and uh, try to learn as much as you can, right? And I think that was the whole goal at that point. Yeah, fantastic. And then in 1996, you moved to a company called HCI Technologies. That's correct, right? So uh, I actually worked for a startup uh, in before, I think that word was popular back then, this company called uh, Digital uh, Analysis Corporation. Uh, we, I was there uh, for a few months, we got acquired by another company and which uh, six months later, we got acquired by Computer Associates. So uh, three jobs in less than a year, actually, from the time oh, really? of ending up at CA. Um, and uh, CA was when I really started getting into a customer-facing role, right? And, and uh, mm. um, decided to leave CA to work for HCI Technologies. Uh, it's more of a professional services company. Um, and I did that for a few years uh, before I ended up at uh, Blade Logic. I think sometime 2000, 2001. 2001, mm. 2002. Yeah. And was pre-sales as, as clearly defined a function as it is today? Or is it more of I, a... I don't think so, right? Back then, pre-sales was uh, not necessarily uh, a role. It was, you know, you always needed uh, someone to talk about the technology and explain the technology to customers and prospects. Um, so I think, I think it, it definitely wasn't uh, a well-defined role, right? Uh, you know, when, when I started my career. Um, when, I, when I finished my master's, all my friends and peers, uh, you know, were writing code. And I wasn't very good at that. So I'm like, okay, there's got to be something else that I can do. <laughs> And then obviously um, you, you did a, a stint at Peakstone and then made your way through to kind of Blade Logic, where you joined in 2002 and, and you were attached to the pre-sales team from day one, were you? Was that always the plan for you to join the pre-sales team? At, at Blade Logic, yes. Um, actually, Peakstone is an interesting experience, right? So it was uh, 2000, 2001, the dot-com days. Um, my first big learning experience is... Uh, it's not just about technology, right? But is it, it's, it's also about revenue, right? Um, is is uh, having great technology and having great products uh, that no one is buying makes no sense, right? So uh, one of the things that, uh, that stood out to me when I spoke to Blade Logic back then was the fact that they had about two, two or $3 million in revenue in 2001. And having mm -hmm. worked at Peakstone for a year that, and I think we had maybe one or two customers the whole year, right? I'm like, wait a minute. They have $2 million uh, in revenue, and I think a couple of hundred customers. I'm like, okay, yeah. this, this seems a lot more promising than Peakstone. <laughs> yeah. So 
obviously still very early days in terms of the blade logic story um what what did you find when you you came into the organization what what kind of setup um how how was the sales culture at that point so uh very little in terms of setup right i think there were may there may be a we may have had maybe 35 40 employees at that point right i think i was the mm-hmm. fourth or the fifth sc that joined uh, blade logic back then right so mm-hmm. um and, and, and that's the thing, right? Uh, you know, we did have training for a week. I remember going to Boston for a week of training. Uh, it was purely product focused, uh, which is, which is good, good training, right? But nothing in terms of sales process or sales execution. None of that playbook existed back then, right? Uh, well, the playbook existed at PTC, but it did not exist at uh, Blade Logic for sure, right? All yeah. of that came much later. Um, and, you know, I was, I was there for about eight, nine months. We were losing deals left, right, and center, even though I felt from a technology perspective, we were better than the competition um, or better than uh, the way they were doing things uh, today. I'm like, why are we not winning, right? And it was incredibly frustrating. Mm. In terms of looking back now, do, do you see clearly why those deals were, were being lost? Was it? It, 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 took a lo- it took a long time, right? Um, uh, Steve Walski, I think, joined the board um, sometime mid-2003. Uh, brought in a whole new sales approach and, and, and uh, a framework. It wasn't a big sales team, right? I think there was just about six or seven salespeople initially, uh, you know, five of us uh, SEs. Um, and it took about another six months for us to really start seeing results, right? And uh, it wasn't like a magic wand that came in and, you know, and, and we changed things. It, it was a process. Um, and it took, took us and it took me uh, a while to really see the benefits of uh, a rigorous uh, sales approach. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Looking back, it's not just about technology, but it's having a really good process um, you know, that, that you follow to qualify deals, uh, to, mm-hmm. to build champions and um, you know, the medic framework that uh, we all talk about today, but it took a while for us to really see it and believe it. Mm-hmm. Sure. So how, how important in your opinion is the relationship between pre-sales and sales in having established the right value proposition for your clients to actually start to get the traction? It's, it's extremely important, right? At the, at, the, at the core of it, especially in enterprise sales, it really comes down to two people, right? It's the salesperson and the pre-sales person, right? These two people working very closely, collaborating and, and, uh, um, you know, making deals happen, right? Now there's a whole ecosystem that supports you, but at the core of it, it's these two people, right? And uh, to the point that you just made it, Simon, it's not just about technology, but it's the value that it drives in the organization. That, that is the biggest thing, right? I mean, for, for the longest time in my career back then, the word value meant nothing to me, right? Um, I was naive enough to believe that you show up with really good technology and, and magic happens, right? People start signing checks and giving you a PO, right? But uh, to really talk about value um, and, and everything else that goes around with it um, is, is, uh, is extremely important. And that comes down to the salesperson and the pre-salesperson working and, and trusting each other. As a technologist, did that, did that frustrate you a little bit? Obviously, you know, we see a lot of people that are passionate about technology and they can almost get stuck in the technology world, right? Without necessarily being able to elevate them. How, how easy was that transition for you to really adopt a different mindset? It, it, it was very frustrating, right? Because it didn't mean much to me, right? Um, 
like I said, right? I mean, being a technologist at heart, you show up with great technology, do a great demo, um, and then you just think, uh, you want to believe that things magically happen, right? And then when you start looking at, um, even when the deals are happening, right? And you start to look at the effort between, let's say a $100,000 deal versus a million dollar deal. And you start talking to the SE that worked on the million dollar deal versus uh, you working a $100,000 deal. The effort seems the same. So I'm like, okay, so wait a minute. So what is the difference between what that person is doing versus what am I doing, right? And, it, and, and the difference is really about how you position value, how you are, attach yourself to critical business needs and identifying pain points, building champions, uh, talking about value throughout the sales process. That's the difference between a 50K deal or a 100K deal versus a million dollar deal. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's the ability to do that in tandem with the salesperson. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, my job is to represent the technology and the solution. But if I can take it one step further and, and map the value that our solution is providing, working with the AE or the salesperson, I think that's, that's where uh, the magic happens of uh, really the, the teamwork happens. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. So, and just to take it back to the technical side for a moment, um, some of the other individuals we're featuring on this series, Devaka, such as Sahir, Sung Park, um, and quite a few other individuals, they, they came to Blade Logic with no pre-sales experience, um, coming more from a sysadmin background and, and uh, roles of that nature. Um, I realize you came with, with pre-sales experience, but w- what was it about the technology specifically that, that drove yeah, that? Yeah, so not much pre-sales experience, I've got to be honest, right? I mean, I've worked in the pre-sales capacity, but nothing as rigorous as a playbook that John McMahon, Steve Walski, uh, Luca, Lazaron, Scott Davis, all of them uh, brought, uh, brought into play, right? So, yes, mm. but not really. <laughs> yeah. And w- was it the complexity of the technology that, that drove that? Or w- what was behind um, bringing in the individuals that were brought in as those, those SEs? Um, so, listen, I, I always believe that, um, you know, uh, a critical element of, of the SE role is to establish credibility within the first 30, 45 minutes of the meeting, right? So, um, you know, depending on the industry or depending on the solution, um, having having the ability to say, I've been in your shoes, I know what you're going through uh, because I was in that function or a similar function in my previous life uh, is extremely important, right? Um, And and, uh, if you've spoken to Frank Lampreas, Sahir, Sung, all of them Mm -hmm. had the technical background, had the experience before coming to Blade Logic, right? And and as did I in my first job, right? So bringing that credibility, bringing that experience to a conversation is extremely important, right? Because that's how trust is built, right? Um, um, You know, know, I haven't been able to do the same thing to build that credibility in other companies that I've worked for uh, because my role has been different, but... Um, you know, at Medallia, I was never the customer experience expert at all, right? Um, but at Blade Logic and at BMC, I had enough IT operations experience to, to tell them that I've been in your shoes before. So having that credibility, I think, is extremely important uh, mm-hmm. for an SC. Yeah. Wearing customer shoes is obviously an element of your playbook. Do you, do you actually have to come from that background to wear your customer's shoes? Or, or are you just talking about wearing your customers' challenges? So that's a, good, that's a really good question. Um, um, you know, it, so the answer to that question depends on the stage of the evolution of the company, right? Uh, early on, when you're building the team, um, um, you really want to make sure that 
um, the SEs can hit the ground running as soon as possible, right? So coming from the industry or coming from the competition or even coming from a professional services organization that's delivered solutions or similar solutions, I think it's extremely important to build the genesis of the team, right? And as you scale, uh, you can start bringing in candidates from, from different backgrounds um, and, and with the proper level of coaching, training and support, you can get them there, right? But, um, you know, the genesis of the team, I really think you need this team, uh, uh, this group of people that have the empathy, that have the experience and can build credibility very, very quickly. Yeah, great, great, great insight there. I, I suppose in terms of, you know, taking you back at that moment, right, you're obviously... New, new to that particular type of organization, um, the technology isn't selling as well as it could potentially. What is driving you at this moment to really make this work? So, at, at, you know, at Blade Logic, um, it was, I, I remember we, uh, we had finished a proof of concept um, at a company in Virginia. Uh, I was there for two weeks on site. Um, and uh, it was a hundred thousand dollar deal. I, I remember that very clearly. And uh, we we delivered all the use cases, um, with the exception of maybe one. And uh, we went to the VP of IT, and he said, uh, "Yeah, I'm not going with you guys, um, and I'm, I'm going with uh, another vendor." And uh, walking out, um, you know, and and you know, uh, our VP, our interim VP of sales. The, the sales executive and I, we were just debriefing in the parking lot and I just couldn't understand why we had lost. Um, I think they wanted us to demonstrate 10 or 12 use cases. I think we'd gotten 11 out of the 12 uh, really out of the box, uh, but it is incredibly confusing to me at that point. I'm like, why did we lose? Um, and um, we, we had no answers. Um, and it took me a long time to understand that it, it wasn't just about technology, but it's about qualifying deals if you commit to a proof of concept, um, you know, what is the decision criteria? What is the decision process? Do we have technical champions? Uh, and if we do this, is there going to be a decision, right? The, uh, having the process around the technology, I would argue is more important than the technology itself. Hmm. So how, how useful and how important was that, having that kind of medic-based kind of qualification methodology and and the various other kind of playbook elements that were in full force obviously you mentioned steve walsey came in followed by steve strahan and you know john mcmahon thereafter how how important was that for you and your evolution and and, and perhaps how pre-sales how you started to view pre-sales once that playbook really kicked in i, I think it's extremely important right having having a structured uh, framework to assess where your deals are and knowing what the gaps are based on a rigorous framework is extremely important. You can call it medic, you can call it whatever acronym you want, but it really lays out a very simple framework by which you can be honest with yourselves and see, hey, where am I in this deal, right? What's missing? What do I know? What don't, what don't I know? And what do I have to do? So if you look at it as a, uh, a Google map to your destination, I think that's basically what it is. Yeah. And, and I know that obviously protecting your time is obviously a playbook element of yours, right? How, how does that mechanism allay, enable you to, to really do that? Yeah, that's a tough one, man. I mean, you know, it's, uh, this is, you know, uh, 
sales in a high growth company is is not a nine to five job, right? And um, um, there's a saying that goes like, you know, uh, what's important versus what's urgent, right? And you're always in conflict between uh, trying to figure out is this important or is this urgent, right? Um, <laughs> and 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 you know, it's it's and at times it can seem very confusing, right? So, uh, but you know, one of the sales uh, leaders I worked with said that, hey, if everything is equally important, then nothing is important, right? So. Um, and and I think Stephen Covey was was the was the person who said big rocks and, and gravel or big rocks and small rocks. So I remember at Medallia, the couple of the SC leaders and I, we had a, a Google sheet that we would write on all the things that we needed to tackle. And every two weeks, or every three weeks, we would look at that sheet, saying that okay, this is a big rock, this is not a big rock, right? And uh, and once a quarter, we would sit and okay, let's let's tackle these issues, right? So having that discipline to uh, one, just write down all the things that come to your mind and then look at it uh, once a week and saying, okay, this is a priority. This is not a priority. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's a tough balancing act uh, because you're never going to get it right uh, all the time. Mm. What was there a light bulb moment after the, the adoption of the playbook um, where you realized how profound the impact would be or was it, did it take a while to, for the pre-sales side to, to adopt to the sales methodologies? Yeah, so uh, it, it, it wasn't a light bulb moment for me per se, right? I think, um, you know, we were all frustrated, you know, anytime there's a change in CRO, there's a new playbook, there's always a big question mark, right? Is this really going to work now, right? So there's, mm-hmm. at least on the pre-sales side, there's uh, a lot of skepticism, right? For sure, right? Um, and at least speaking for myself, that is definitely the case, right? Um, and then, you know, six, nine months later, you start to see the results coming. Uh, every quarter we get together as a team, we celebrate the wins, we recognize what worked, what did not work. Um, and then when you start to see the results come in, you start to look back saying that, hey, what happened? Uh, what is the process that resulted in those deals coming, right? And then when you've gone through that process yourself and you can go to a QSR and talk about the deals and all the hard work that you had to uh, that you did and uh, all the hurdles that you had to o- overcome, then you start to believe in the process, right? But winning is, is essential, right? You need to get small wins um, and then you start to see it work, right? Uh, I think that's, that's the big thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, every time there's a new playbook, you don't believe it till you actually see it working. <laughs> Yeah, great. So um, I suppose you know, Blade Logic was a you know was was a moment in time, right? We the the first series was all about the thirty three CXOs and the incredible success they've gone on. They've they've gone on to achieve incredible things, uh, leading the you know the fastest growing technology companies in the world. You've obviously worked for quite a few of those uh, those those CXOs. Uh, I, I suppose at that time at Blade Logic, were you aware of just how special that time was? Did you have a moment to appreciate it, or or, or was it just kind of you know you t- kind of took it for granted to an extent? So no, at that point, I didn't appreciate it for sure. Right? I mean, I was incredibly happy to be part of the team, uh, but I had no idea that those five, six years um, at Blade Logic uh, defined my career till today, right? Um, I, you know, it, 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 it made uh, that experience, uh, you know, basically was a career changing experience for me and for a lot of people that I know, right? Um, and, and uh, but at that point, you know, we were, we were growing, we were competing against a much bigger, much better uh, uh, recognized company. 
We were winning. Um, so it was fantastic uh, to be part of that team that was winning. Um, and it was always coming from behind hard fought wins. So it was great to be part of that and then going public. Um, you know, all of that was a, was a fantastic experience. But no, I, I couldn't tell you at that time, this is going to define my career and, and tell you that I would be here uh, based on that. But listen, I mean, I was lucky to join Blade Logic and I'm incredibly grateful that I got the opportunity. And um, man, that was definitely a career defining moment for me. Mm, sure. And then obviously the IPO um, 2007, yep. which was uh, which was obviously a very, very interesting time. And then just three three quarters later and um, the, the BMC acquisition was obviously announced. What was that time like for you? Yeah, you know, we were confused, right? In the sense, uh, you know, we'd just gotten public, we'd, we'd shown results, we were growing, um, and then we get acquired, right? And we're like, wait a minute, it, it seems like, you know, um, someone just turned on the lights at the end of the party and asked them if to go home, right? But <laughs> looking back, that's probably one of the best things that happened, right? Because two, three months later, um, we had the financial crisis in 2008. Yeah. And, um, you know, timing is everything. And, and uh, again, uh, so fortunate that uh, the acquisition happened at that point in time because, uh, man, I don't think everybody got impacted um, in the meltdown, uh, the stock market crash of 2008. And we just missed it. We mm. just so again, you know, luck, timing, uh, it, it, yeah, so incredibly uh, grateful for that too. Mm. I think it's something we see uh, commonly, you know, apprehension when sales and pre-sales engineers are, are moving from that startup culture to that larger um, global software company. Um, mm. Was there a lot of apprehension in the pre-sales team at that point or did was it quickly um realize that it would be a different kind of solution based cell that you'd be moving to yeah so you know uh blade logic at that point was uh, primarily a single product right we had um three or four use cases or maybe a little bit more to be focused on then bmc was uh, uh, a much bigger company and had a much more um, um a broader platform of solutions right so there was always a little bit of apprehension where does blade logic fit in the grand scheme of things um, but you know, I think I think for the next couple of years uh, we all adjusted, and 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 uh, it wasn't that we were an isolated product. We were definitely part of the bigger solution, um, mm-hmm. and, and uh, so uh, it, it, I, th- I think uh, BMC was a good experience too. Uh, yeah. Big company for sure. Uh, definitely a lot more uh, bureaucracy and uh, everything else that comes with a big company. But you know, it is it is what it is. Yeah. Mm. So you joined as a practice lead for the service automation platform. So uh, is, was that kind of the overlay, supporting the overlay um, kind of sales overlay function in a pre-sales capacity? I was still part of the SC team, uh, but I was really supporting all the emerging markets in uh, okay. Asia Pacific and Latin America, um, really enabling the, the, uh, the pre-sales teams uh, in, in different regions in, in the world and getting them familiarized with blade logic and service automation as it was called so at that time there's obviously quite a a lot of things happening obviously you you land at bmc the kind of the blade logic guys are all looking around kind of thinking to themselves are we going to stay are we going to go john mcmahon obviously stepped up and took the big role as the kind of leading the sales organization of everything outside of mainframe within bmc 
was the pre-sales organization kind of making their own decision or were they kind of following what the kind of leadership, you know, what what was the pre-sales team saying during that whole kind of point of, are we going to stay or are we going to go? Was there ever a chance of you leaving or, or was it, we're going to see this through? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is one of those things that we felt uh, at least the blade logic team, uh, John McMahon's team, uh, we were all part of this, um, elite group, if you will, right, without uh, sounding too arrogant. Uh, but, you know, we all wanted to stick together as a team, right? But we knew this was going to come to an end at some point, right? So um, it, at least I felt, I'm like, I want to be here with these guys. I, you know, I went to battle with these guys and I don't want to leave. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, this is, this is boring and I'm not going anywhere here. So it was a question of who's going to make the move first, right? And, <laughs> Um, I think McMahon transitioned it to Luca uh, at that point. Um, and Luca was the CRO at uh, uh, BMC for, for about a year, maybe longer. Um, but, but, you know, at some point we all decided, okay, you know, we got, we got to go chart our own, uh, you know, careers over here. Um, at the end of the day, I need to own my career. So I got to make the decisions. <laughs> um, and I did not make a good decision leaving BMC. Uh, I'm going to Copian, right? Which is a startup that I did for a few months. Uh, maybe, yeah. Sure. sure. So yeah, June 2011, obviously you, uh, as you mentioned, you moved to Copian, took the, the decision to leave BMC. Mm-hmm. Was that, w- were you looking to get back to that startup culture? Was that the, the key driver? Yeah, definitely. Right. That was the motivation to get back to a smaller company, um, trying to recreate the blade, blade logic magic, if you will, uh, trying to find a small company that had customers that had revenue. Uh, that was definitely the thinking at that point, right? Um, I think the big mistake that I made was, um, you know, not realizing that it's not just about technology and, and, and customers. It's also the CRO and the playbook uh, that uh, that is part of the process that makes it all that makes it all work. Even with that, there's no guarantee it'll work. But you take that away, then the, ch- the chances of failure just go up, right? So, um, you know, I did that for a year. We got acquired by by good which ended up at BlackBerry, but uh, so it was a good time for me to leave. But looking back, I think that is the mistake that I made, right? Not, not, rea- not realizing that I'm just part of the team and, and the people, the process and the playbook are all equally important. Mm. So you were director of pre-sales. Were you the most senior pre-sales person in that organization when you joined? At Copian, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I suppose, was that the time when you really started to appreciate perhaps was that the first time when you really appreciated what perhaps you'd learned and discovered at bmc and blade logic before that oh definitely right because within a couple of months i knew i'd made a mistake right um but you know the the uh, the, the thing about you is you never want to give up right or first you, you know it's human nature to deny you made a mistake and then <laughs> you don't want to give up because you want to fight it because you think you can you can change things um and at some point you realize that you can't fight this battle yourself, right? You have to fight it as a team. And, um, and then you realize, wait a minute, I made a mistake and I've given it a fair shot. Uh, I actually ended up leaving, right? I wasn't sure what I was going to do next, but I knew Copian wasn't the place uh, that I wanted to be at, right? So when the acquisition was announced, I said, um, this is a good time for me to leave. Uh, I hadn't figured out that I was going to come to Medallia at that point when I left Copian. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So then with... 
Scott Davis, I believe. Uh, you joined Medallia around a year after. In uh, yeah, so uh, actually maybe six months later. So that's 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 a funny story. I was uh, I lived in Washington D.C. back then. Um, I, th- I think it was uh, early early spring, March, April, something like that. I was riding my bike, um, and I ran, I ran into Scott Davis uh, on my bike ride. Right. So wow. Uh, so so we connected. <laughs> we talked, um, and then. Um, um, I knew he had left BMC, so I was just talking to him. I said, "Hey, what are you doing?" And he said, "I'm." Cons- I think he was working as a consultant for Medallia at that point. So he said, "Hey, I'm consulting for this company um, um, uh, in, in in Silicon Valley. Uh, do you want to take a look at it?" Um, so I said, "Sure, I'll take a look at it." Um, gave me the name Medallia. Went to the website, and I think it came back to him the next day. And I said, "Scott, I don't understand a thing of what Medallia does." <laughs> right? So. Um, and then he said, um, I asked him, I said, why? You know, I'm not sure exactly what I asked him, but then very quickly I found out, he said, hey, Steve Walski is on board. I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's it. <laughs> okay, I get it. Sign me up. I'm ready to start. So, um, of course, we went through an interview process, met with the founders of the company, uh, but that's how it got started. Yeah. And you were so in you a global did- pre-sales role with, uh, with Natalia. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Did that, is that... Where you started maybe creating a playbook of your own for pre-sales or is that? Uh... So I, I would say maybe refining the playbook, right? I don't, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't think the playbook is ever written in pen. I think the playbook should be written in pencil and you need to be able to erase parts of it and adjust it. Uh, but the core elements of the playbook are, are the same, but every organization is unique. Um, Every industry is unique. So taking a playbook and adapting that to that company or that industry, I think that's the fun part, right? Um, because I don't think the Blade Logic playbook would have worked at um, uh, Medallia. The Medallia playbook did not, would not have worked at uh, AppDynamics. So every, uh, the elements of the playbook, are that there's definitely common threads, but you need to be flexible enough to know what works what, and what needs to be uh, tweaked to you. So what's your initial play then? So obviously you've gone in with Scott um, and you're obviously trying to establish what, what is that initial play? What, what are you trying to do when you first get there and, and how does that kind of evolve over time? Yeah, so that is, that is um, another shock to my system, right? Because even though I knew, uh, I thought I knew the playbook and I thought I'm going to bring the BMC playbook and just execute it, right? Um, I remember going to my first customer meeting at Medallia. And uh, I, I'm not kidding. I literally did not understand a single word of that conversation that was going on between the salespeople and, and the customers, right? Um, I, I, I came out in a shock and I had a glass of wine with Scott Davis that evening. And I told him, I said, you may, you may, have, you may have hired the wrong person over here. Um, and I pretty much uh, told him that I didn't know that I can do this job. And I told him straight, I said, I don't understand what Medallia does. So when I don't understand what Medallia does, how the hell do you expect me to build a team um, when I don't understand what we do as a company, right? So um, I think the conversation was, did you have a flunk of course in college? Um, I said, no, but I came pretty close, but I worked my ass off and I pulled back. So, um, so he said, hey, I'm giving you time to figure out, right? So I think that that was the key thing, right? I needed to understand, um, you know, what is it that Medallia did, right? Customer experience was just two words, uh, but I really did not understand uh, the whole industry that Medallia was, uh, was doing, right? But I go back to the elements of the playbook, right? That we talked about earlier, right? Uh, first get people on the team that, that understand the industry, 
understand the technology, understand the solution, understand the value that it drives, right? So uh, the initial playbook was, the first play was um, hire a few people from either the competition or from a similar industry um, and, and beg, borrow and steal people from professional services and bring them into the pre-sales organization. And then I think the next day was all about um, observing and, and trying to figure out what's working, what's not working. Um, and it took me about a year to figure out the right profile of um, candidates that I needed um, for the team. Right? And after that, it was, it was all about execution. Mm. And in terms of really understanding that kind of your role as a pre-sales partner, you're a partner, obviously, to the sales organization at the time. Mm-hmm. How important was it in you really helping to, uh, to you know, create that value proposition? Was pre-sales lent on? Were they leaning on you to help establish that as part of your role within pre-sales? Yeah, I think so, right? I mean, first of all, the relationship between uh, the pre-sales leadership and the CRO, that's paramount, right? Um, that, that, uh, that relationship is, is, is crucial for both sides, right? Because when you think of large enterprises and the sales teams, um, the sales team is easily the biggest team and the second biggest team is pre-sales, right? So having those two leaders trust each other, know each other, understand the playbook, understand what the expectations are, I think that, that relationship is critical to, make, to making it work. And just reflecting back on that time, you, you said that elements of the, the playbook from, from BMC and Blade Logic weren't aligning to, to the medallia. Was that on a technical level or, or were there other gaps that you were really trying to kind of... You know, at, at a lot of levels, right? So, you know, so medallia, um, you know, being a software company and Sprinkler is similar in that sense, right? Um, uh, we're a technology company, but, you know... Um, you know, the people that, that uh, make the decision to go with Sprinkler Medallia, they're really not technology people, right? So the, the technical aspects of the solution almost does not matter in a typical sales side, right? Um, at BladeLogic and BMC and AppDynamics, um, um, a proof of value uh, or a proof of concept uh, is an extremely important step in the sales cycle. At, at Medallia and Sprinkler, it's not, right? So recognizing these uh, big differences and adapting your playbook to that is 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 really important. So, what is the role of the pre-sales person in an organisation like Medallia and Sprinkler? And it's still being a subject matter expert in the industry and the solution for sure, right? Uh, but the way you validate your solution um, was was different at AppDynamics and BladeLogic and BMC versus here, right? Uh, at AppDynamics and BladeLogic and BMC, you actually had to prove that your technology worked in their environment. Right. Uh, whereas here at Sprinkler and Medallia, it is more of a solution workshop, uh, really explaining uh, exactly how your solution is going to work in that environment, more in a whiteboard uh, or, or, or a PowerPoint presentation like setting. Right. So it is really conveying the fact that you understood all their challenges at a fair amount of detail and mapping a solution. Uh, to that, uh, without necessarily showing it in a techno- uh, from a technology perspective. Now, we did demos uh, for sure, right? But um, doing proof of concepts was was not the most important uh, event in the sales cycle. Now, now um, we're bringing elements of that at Sprinkler over here, so we'll see. But I think that that playbook is still evolving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in in terms of Medallia, at the time when they appointed you with, within that role, within that kind of responsibility. Why, why do you think they didn't go for the more obvious choice of finding someone that had, you know, come from that industry? What is it that they were bringing with you 
um, yeah. that enabled you to kind of execute what they needed at that time. In, in fact, that was one of my one of my questions uh, to the president of the company. I asked Amy Pressman. I said, "Hey, why you know why me? Right? Um, you know, we talk about the three whys in in sales, right? Uh, why do anything? Why now? And and why us? I think it's it's true when you're interviewing with the company too, right? Um, you know, why do you need a, a head of pre-sales? You know, uh, why now? And why me? Right? And I asked her. I said, "Hey, wouldn't it be easier for you to hire someone that understands the industry?" Uh, hire someone for the competition, pay them a lot of money, and bring them over, right? Um, and and um, I asked Amy Pressman the same question, and she said, I, "I, you know, again, it's it's been a few years, so, but so it's a couple of things, right? One is she she was willing to take a chance on me to give me the give me the um, the runway to learn a new industry, right? And and uh, prior to coming to Medallia, I'd always worked for software companies that sold to IT, and coming to Medallia was was a completely different experience, right? So um, I, I got a chance to learn a completely new industry, right? Uh, which, you know, I myself wouldn't have given that person that chance for sure, right? Because it is too risky. Um, but I think, I think the fact that I'd worked in a, uh, with Scott Davis and John McMahon and uh, Steve Walsky with, to put together a similar playbook and process, I think that definitely helped. Um, but, you know, we realized that the limits to the playbook we have to define or uh, revise the playbook for that for that company and for that industry mm, yeah do you think that was a clear investment in mindset as opposed to experience i think it's both right i think a mindset more than anything else right uh, it, it took me maybe five six months to realize uh, maybe a little longer to realize the bmc playbook is not going to work at, at uh, medallia and then that, that's that's a critical moment of truth right because when you realize that something that you thought you're going to implement is not going to work, then what are you going to do, right? You can, you can either run away and, and, and say, this is not working out for me. Or you can say, hey, they're willing to give you the, uh, uh, if they have the faith in you to figure things out and you're willing to put in the effort, um, I think it's a critical moment in truth. You can either fight or, or run away. Mm -hmm. And did you embrace the fight? I think so. I was there for five years. <laughs> Um, I, I know Scott Davis is obviously very, very fond of, of of kind of that success because you did go on to an IPO. When you joined, did you think that was always the potential? Obviously, Steve Worski was on the board. It's a, uh, again, it's a great kind of a lot of potential. But did you think you would get to that IPO stage within that five years from day one? Uh, so, so that was definitely part of the plan, right? Um, but like with every other company, right? I think uh, you know we had our highs and lows, uh, ups and downs, if you will. So um, you know, definitely uh, uh, a lot of us uh, that were there initially were not part of the IPO, which happened much later, uh, a year or two after uh, we had left. So, uh, but but I think you know, looking back, I'm, I'm you know, I think I, I had a small part to play uh, to help uh, get Medallia to the IPO, but we did our part, right? But uh, it did not happen in the time frame that all of us wanted, but you know these are things that are outside your control, right? It's not just sales; it's it's product, it's marketing, um, it's uh, it's all the different departments within the company that matter. Hmm. Fantastic. So after five uh, very successful years at Medallia, Devaka, um, early two thousand seventeen, you uh, you go back to the world of applications with with App Dynamics. Um, yep. How uh, how did that? come about obviously lots of people in the business i'm sure you uh, you already knew 
Yeah, so uh, obviously uh, the relationship I had with sales leadership and the SE leadership, um, you know, uh, made a big difference. Um, mm. um, I think it's always, uh, you, you, want, you want some level of comfort working with people that, you, that are maybe successful, right? So um, that you trust the playbook, the process. Um, so you want to go back and play for the same team. So I think that is a big factor for me uh, going to App Dynamics. Um, the other thing is, uh, the entire technology and the application landscape had changed significantly uh, for the five years that I was at Medallia, right? Uh, mm. it, it had exploded, right? The entire tech stack had changed. So uh, to go back and take a uh, look at application performance management in the whole application space from a, from a, you know, from a completely different perspective, that was uh, mind-boggling in terms of how much uh, the whole landscape had changed. Mm. Uh, you know, um, Application performance has existed, you know, since the 1960s, 1970s, and as the technology stack has changed, um, I had kind of uh, my uh, my knowledge of that industry had kind of frozen in time till about 2011, 2012. Mm. Going back five years later, you would think five years is is not that long, but that's long enough in technology to find out, holy shit, this is a completely different space now. <laughs> yeah, okay. and um, what what size was the company when you joined? Was it already in rapid growth mode? Oh, it was definitely rapid growth for sure, right? Mm -hmm. um, they were getting ready to go IPO um, and I think uh, 24, 48 hours before the IPO, Cisco came um, and made the offer, so the acquisition happened. Yeah. Um, you know, nothing wrong with Cisco, right? Uh, big company, but um, you know, we were like, I think we may have been the first SaaS, first or second SaaS acquis uh, acquisition that they made, right? So um, mm -hmm. it was, um, uh, always interesting, but you know, Cisco is a big behemoth, right? Um, and we were just a drop in the ocean. Mm. And how how did the playbook environment compare to Blade Logic? Obviously, I believe Danny Radjic was CRO at the at the time. Um, was it similar to Blade Logic? Was was there a further evolution taking place at App Dynamics? I think, I think it was very similar to Blade Logic, right? I think that uh, because I'd spoken to. Uh, couple of the AC leaders when I was talking there. So uh, the familiarity with the process um, uh, and the similarities was very appealing. Um, it, it is very similar, a highly technical cell. You were selling to IP operations, you're selling to application people, uh, which were of course supporting the business, but um, heavily driven on proof of concepts, tech technical deep dives, proof of concepts, qualifying, um, making sure that, um, the, the big difference was uh, at, at AppDynamics, uh, which we did not have at BMC was um, there was always a trial version of the product that you could get from the website, right? You sign up, you can download, I think a one or two week license of the product. Um, and they, the, um, the founders had done a fantastic job uh, building a really good foundation of customers that had downloaded the product and had gotten used to it, right? So the, the, use, the usage of the product was, was uh, really quick and easy to install and get start to see value out of the product, right? And then the enterprise team came in and started closing these big deals, right? So that's something that we did not have at Blade Logic um, uh, at all, right? We were very controlling about how you could use the product um, in, in, in a proof of concept. Uh, so I think that is the biggest difference in the playbook. If you mm -hmm. So as the third, it's, it's regarded as the third iteration of the playbook, obviously, Blade, uh, so PTC, Blade Logic, and obviously App Dynamics, I think is one of the, the, the major success stories where we've seen the real kind of implementation of this. Uh, Dali Rajik, obviously, at the helm, really driving this, um, this, this through. 
we're seeing the crystallization of a lot of those concepts. Did did you find that by the time it came to App Dynamics, it was evident just how much more focus there was on certain elements of the playbook? Um, things like the ICE criteria, which were a lot more defined, for example, um, among other things. Did did you kind of was that your experience? Oh, definitely, right. I think um, you know um, every industry you need to refine the playbook, right? So I think having the, uh, um, the whole process around uh, business value, um, you, know, you know, it's not just a proof of concept, it's actually a proof of value, right? I think it is, um, it's the same exercise, but, um, you know, we had evolved from proving that our technology works to proving that it actually drives value within the organization, right? I think that is the biggest thing, right? Uh, early on at Blade Logic, it was all about installing the technology demonstrating that we could do all these use cases, right? Um, but it's so, but to go from that to tying those use cases to value and therefore looking at it, I know it's a, just a small change in nomenclature, but going from uh, evolving from a proof of concept to a proof of value, I think it's a huge mindset difference, right? Knowing, so asking yourself as an SC, uh, if I show you these features, um, you know, what value is it going to try, right? Um, and, you know, just to, um, Ask yourself, right? So what and who cares? Those are the two big questions. Um, I need, you know, we need to ask all the all the time when we're, when we're talking about technology and showing you. Mm. So Apti going through hyper growth, um, you're obviously in a senior sales engineering role in a management team. What were the challenges you were facing from a, a, a recruitment perspective, in particular skill saturation? I know was obviously something that was predominantly, you know, was quite prominent at the time. So how were you dealing with those challenges and, and what, what, what was your kind of mindset around uh, recruitment at AppDynamics in particular? Yeah, so, uh, you know, AppDynamics, for the most part, no, I don't know how things are today, but we... Uh, even though we were part of Cisco, we operated as a more or less an independent entity, right? We had our own CEO, our own CRO. So even though we were part of Cisco, um, outside of being integrated with the, with the Cisco HR system, uh, we had our own email addresses. So we operated as an independent entity. So for, for, the, for the longest time, we managed to, um, you know, hold on to our identity that had made it unique, right? So uh, from a recruiting perspective, it... it um, you know, of course, we're part of Cisco, so you know we had the mothership supporting us. Uh, but we could always say, "Hey, we're independent unit or division within Cisco." Uh, so I think that helped us with recruiting. I don't think it really hurt us with recruiting in any way. Um, but still, right? Um, we were still part of Cisco, so uh, people that have a preference for high growth companies, early stage pre-IPO companies, they're like, "Hey, the big exit has already happened. Why am I really coming here?" Right? So there was it. It was always uh, hard to recruit. Uh, but it wasn't as bad, uh, you know, as, as uh, it, it could be, it could have been. Mm. And in terms of kind of general advice for our viewers, maybe looking to, to scale up pre-sales teams, Divaka, are there, do, do you still, till this day, prioritize personality and, and drive over the technical skills? Or what, what are your kind of key takeaways for, for driving scale of a recruitment team yeah so um you know uh it's it, you need both right uh it's not one or the other and it's a question mm -hmm. of where do you over index on right um and i think at different stages of the uh, of, of the evolution of the team 
you need to focus on 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 different things, right? So um, if if, if uh, at Medallia the first year, I think we just hired about six or seven SCs, right? So it was all a question of um, you know how do we get this to work, right? And what's working, what's not working, and then before we start doing the next wave of recruiting, you know what you know what lessons have we learned, right? So. Uh, at every stage, you need to look back and, and and be honest with yourself of what's working, right? So, um, but having uh, the ability to build a relationship or or establish credibility within the first 30, 45 minutes, I think that's critical. That never changes, right? So, um, if if you have hired someone from outside the industry, then hold that person back till you feel comfortable that you have trained them and supported that person uh, well enough to establish credibility, right? So. Um, you can't do that early on, so you need everyone uh, to establish credibility by themselves with little uh, hand-holding and support. But as you grow, you can you can you can afford that luxury. So I think mm. that never changes really. Mm. Is that something you've continued to do throughout your career? Then, such as Blade Logic, you've hired quite a lot of people from end user or in industry, or have you? Yeah, Blade Logic was. I think all of us. Uh, uh, came with industry experience or actually working as sysadmins uh, in our previous lives, right? So yeah. uh, that that having that experience um, definitely helped, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But as we grew, right, we started bringing in people with, with different experiences. So it's not, you also need diversity, right? Not diversity, uh, you, you need diversity of thought, diversity of experience. So having that, um, mm-hmm. you know, having that diversity is, is extremely important to scale, for sure. Yeah. So a bl- a, for the modern team, a blend of pre-sales experience, a blend of technical experience, a blend of... You know, Consulting experience. experience. I think all of that matters. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. if, if I look back at uh, Medallia, um, I think, you know, for, for the most part, initially we had people from within the industry, from some from the, co- uh, uh, from the, from the competition. Uh, we also had people from, uh, with a strong consulting background. So it was really blended in that sense. Mm. Sure. Fantastic. One of your um, playbook elements is actually um, selling candidates away during the, the hiring process. Um, so uh, talk, talk us through that. Is, is that really testing individuals at the time of the, the hiring process? I, I think so, right? Because, uh, listen, I mean, um, um, it's, it's uh, working for a high growth company uh, is, is, is very stressful, right? Um, and um, this isn't something that, um, and, and a lot of the processes are undefined, right? Um, at Medallia, we, we, uh, we, we looked at candidates and we always say, hey, does this, does this person have the ability to deal with ambiguity, right? Um, in any sales cycle, there's, um, you know some things, there's a lot of things that you don't know, right? Even when you're presenting your solution, you're making a lot of assumptions about uh, you know, what the problems are. You try to do as much discovery, but there's so much information that you don't know, right? So... Yeah. Dealing with all of that is is extremely stressful. So, um, so I try to be as honest as possible with people uh, to set the expectations and um, you know what their experience is going to look like at that company. And if you're if, if if you're not sure, this is a good time to back away, right? Because the worst thing that can happen is uh, you sign, you start, and I waste the next six months of my life trying to make it work. And then by the time I uh, of course, I'm going to be in denial for the first three months that this person is not going to work, right? Then I'm, I'm, I'm wasting my energy uh, for the next three months to fix this or get this person to where I need them to be. And then I realize it's not going to work. They're frustrated. They're angry. Then my teammates have started to notice that this person is not uh, holding their weight. And by the time I hire the next person and get that person productive, I've lost a whole year. Yeah. 
right? So I'd rather scare the person away right now um, than bring the person on and then spend the next year trying to fix this. Yeah, completely. So, so what, what, what are you actually scaring them away from? Is it the, the, the technical ramp up? Is it the, the you know, the, when you say scare them away, help us understand what it is that you're referring to. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, I need to refine that. It's not just scaring away. I think it's being really honest about what the yeah. expectations are and, and what the ramp is going to be, um, especially if they've never worked in a high growth company before. I think you owe it to themselves saying that, hey, listen, this work is going to be stressful. Um, and if you've never done this before, um, it, you know, it's going to take you six months to start uh, getting used to and getting comfortable with the pace at which we operate. So are you ready for that, right? And this is going to have a consequence on your personal life and your family. Um, it's, it's very hard to separate the two, especially uh, the, the, the pandemic age that we live in today. So are you ready for that, right? I think it's having those honest conversations and not setting up improper expectations um, is, is really what I'd like to do before I tell them, are you ready for this? Um, because I know from a skills perspective, they can do it. Do they have a will um, and, and, you know, to, to go through uh, what they're going to go through for the first six, nine months? And what's the result of that? What, what happens as a consequence of you taking this approach? Um, I think most of them work out, honestly. Um, and, and, you know, you hate to lose a candidate uh, at the very last step, but I still think that I'd rather lose a candidate then than they come and start and leave in six, nine months later, right? So... If you look at the big picture and on, on the problems that you can avoid, and by the way, if you're going to be a leader, uh, the single biggest thing that you're going to be measured on is the people that you bring on, right? So uh, I'd rather scare people away um, and, and rather than hire the wrong person uh, because that is going to really impact uh, my credibility within the organization when I've hired bad people. Mm. Sure. And by scaring them away, you're obviously referring to a transparent conversation about what the expectations are, what, what the demands are, rather than selling them the dream, I suppose, is, is perhaps what you're saying. Obviously, um, you know, hopefully set them free. And if that really aligns to their belief system, you know that it's going to really, really be someone that, you know, will ha- be successful in the environment, which is very demanding. Yeah, it's not just doom and gloom, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're a high growth company. We have all these uh, high expectations and what the future looks like. And we definitely um, think that this person could help us there, but it's, it's give and take, right? So I want them to be part of the process. I want them to enjoy the benefits. I want them to experience more in the career that they'd ever thought was possible, but are they willing to um, sacrifice uh, to get to that, right? That's, that's the question that uh, we have to be really honest with. Uh, both sides need to be transparent with each other. Fantastic. And of all the successful pre-sales engineers you've hired and those you've worked with earlier in your career, is, is there a key personality trait that those people share, that drive or competitive? Experience? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's that for sure, right? I think it's um, uh, the drive, the desire to learn, um, mm. you know, uh, their ability to take risks. Um, and and the, I, think, I think, you know, going back to transparency, right? Uh, being honest with yourself to know what you know and what you don't know. And, okay, I don't know this. I have to go learn this. Um, at, at Medallia, I really, the, the, the people that really taught me about customer experience were the SCs that I hired, right? They taught me more. No one at Medallia ever confused me for a subject matter expert, right? Uh, every one of those 85 SCs that I hired knew more about the industry than I did, right? So I learned from them. Uh, 
And I was embarrassed to admit that I didn't know much about the industry and they taught me. So being honest with what you know and don't know and willing to put in the effort, I think goes a long way. Hmm. So I imagine that was obviously a really important um, stepping stone to enable you to be where you are today, which is, you know, sprinkler, very, very high, high growth, high potential, uh, battery venture backed, obviously Neeraj uh, doing, doing his thing, <laughs> doing his thing again, um, 578 million, I believe 578 million of investment, a recent top up of 200 million investment um, led by Hellman um, back in September. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a, you know, very high potential organization, Luca Lazaron, obviously at the helm, how much of what you've learned historically at both, you know, Medallia, Blade Logic, BMC, AppD, how much of that has enabled you to really execute what, what you're doing at the moment at Sprinkler? I think, I think it's 50, 50 because, uh, um, uh, like I said, right? I mean, uh, you have to recognize that Sprinkler is different, right? Um, in, in, in terms of the people, the organization, the culture, um, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting you're asking that question, Simon, because um, I, coming from Medallia, where, uh, you know, Medallia is in a similar industry as customer experience, right? So I thought that experience would translate, right? I couldn't have been more wrong, right? The solution at Medallia and the solution at Sprinkler is couldn't be more different, right? We're trying to solve the same problem, but we're doing it, we're going about it in completely different ways, right? So, um, and, and you know, the, uh, the CTO of the organization had warned me, um, he said the, the, and you know, he didn't go into too much into detail, but he said the sprinkler solution is very different from Medallia, right? Um, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, how different can it be, right? And I couldn't have been more wrong. The solution is incredibly different. It's much broader, it's much deeper, right? So, um, it's, it's uh, and by the way, I just was in an interview just before I started uh, this conversation, right? And I told the candidate, I said, are you ready to uh, learn 25, 30 different products? Oh, by the way, we also launch uh, products uh, at a higher frequency than I've ever experienced in my career before. So are you ready to know that, um, are you ready with the feeling that you'll never be up to speed on the product at, at any given point in time? And you could be here for five years, you still know, won't know everything about Sprinkler. So are you ready for that challenge, right? And, and um, um, that's the thing, right? So, so elements of the playbook, definitely. But, um, you know, Sprinkler is not the same as, uh, not, it's, it's so different from every other company. So I think that's the refreshing part, um, you know, embracing that challenge. I think that's the fun part for me. Mm. You need some very adaptable individuals for this team. Incredibly adaptable, right? Because I think the biggest thing I learned from Medallia is if you, if you think the past is going to help you, you're so wrong, right? And and so knowing, uh, I knew I, uh, I knew things were going to be different. I didn't know how different it was going to be, but so uh, but even then, it was it was a shock, right? To find out, wow, this this product and the technology and the solution is so different from Medallia, right? Solving the same problem, but from a completely different perspective. So um, being uncomfortable with not knowing um, uh, is extremely important, right? Uh, and being adaptable, like you said. Hmm. So, so how do you survive as a, as a, well, I'll, I'll rephrase that. How do you thrive in an environment when you can never be a true subject matter expert in all of the technologies or all of the solutions that you're obviously able to provide your customers? I, you know, you never stop learning, man. I mean, I try to shadow as many customer facing meetings as I can. Right. Um, and there's always something to learn. Right. So, 
Um, it's, 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 uh, uh, I think the, the learning process never stops, right? So being open, being, being uh, comfortable with the fact that you don't know, uh, or you know very little and you, don't, you have so much more to learn, um, I think that's key, right? Uh, the day you start getting comfortable is the day, uh, you know, you, you, you're actually, your value to the organization starts to go down pretty quickly. Mm, sure. And what, what's um, quite a general question, Devaka, but what, what has enabled you to, to have such a successful career, obviously IPO and, and acquisition throughout um, and working for lots of fantastic organizations? How, how have you really been able to scale and, and grow your career and, and what advice would you give to individuals looking to follow in the same footsteps? Yeah, you know, um, it, it, especially in pre-sales, I think... Um, Working with CROs that you trust and respect is extremely important. Um, you know, um, for me, um, the Steve Walski, John McMahon way of doing things is part of my DNA. Um, when I made when I made the mistake of going to Copian, where you know the playbook, the people, the, the process did not exist, that's that that is a big learning moment, right? And uh, to me, that's part of my uh, criteria for working for any company, right? Um, I'll never deviate uh, from from that, right? I won't make that mistake again, right? So mm. it's the other thing that I learned is it's not just about technology. It's about understanding the value that it drives in an organization, right? Um, and then looking back, I mean, listen, uh, at the end of the day, it's it's the technology and revenue that matter. So if it's, it's uh, revenue is a really good indicator of how well the company or the product is doing. Uh, so almost the technology, I would say it's secondary, right? It's about the value and uh, that you, you, that you say it can, it can deliver, but the real proof is are they willing to write the check, right? So revenue, the value um, and the technology, I think all, all three are equally, uh, those are the, that's the way I look at uh, companies. Mm-hmm. Great. So I, I suppose in terms of giving the, the general advice to, to our listeners and our viewers, um, what, what's the best advice you could give um, you know, aspiring pre-sales professionals, whether they're, they're managers or, or, or looking to take those, those kind of forward steps in their career? What's the best advice you could give them? Um, never stop learning. I think that's what I would say, right? Um, don't get siloed into a specific industry or technology. Just uh, embrace new um, industries. I think it's always fun to take um, a playbook and adapt it to a new industry. Um, and, and you know, um, if you look at uh, what I did from Blade Logic to BMC, it was was similar in terms of industry, but BMC to Medallia couldn't have been more different, right? Um, Medallia to AppDynamics going back again uh, was very different, right? So. Uh, be open to change. I think that's that's uh, um, that's that that would be my advice, really. Mm. Yeah. And from a leadership perspective, what what do you think has allowed you to transition and and grow the way you have into such senior roles? I think I think uh, you know there, there's a lot of elements that make a good leader, right? But for me, it's um, how many other leaders have you created, right? If you look at John McMahon and Steve Wozniak. And if you look at the pedigree of leaders that they've created, it's just unbelievable, right? Um, across the industry, right? Um, I think that's that's basically what leadership to me is all about, right? How many other leaders have you created and how many other leaders have they created, right? Um, I think uh, to be a small part of that tree, uh, I'm incred- incredibly fortunate and blessed. Hmm. Sure. 
So the final question we ask as part of this series is what technology or area of innovation do you think will have the biggest impact on business over the next decade? Uh, probably social media. And uh, I know it gets, it has a negative connotation uh, <laughs> with what happened in 2016, but um, you know, I think social media and the way big brands and organizations leverage social media is extremely uh, interesting, right? Um, um, I'll, I'll give you a very quick example, right? Um, my wife and I celebrated our anniversary in, uh, in April and we had a, a trip planned to Prague. Uh, of course, we couldn't make the trip, right? Um, I tried to call the airline, uh, of, uh, you know, uh, I tried to make my, uh, change my reservations on the website. Uh, it was too painful and still couldn't do it. Uh, picked up the phone, I was waiting for 45 minutes uh, trying to talk to an agent. And then on the website, I found a WhatsApp number, right? Now I've used WhatsApp for years, but it's primarily uh, on a personal basis, like talking to you guys, setting this one up, for example. <laughs> but, um, but KLM had produced a WhatsApp number, right? And using WhatsApp, I completely rebooked my tickets, right? Um, and I'd never used WhatsApp to engage with a brand or an organization before, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think, I think uh, the way organizations are leveraging social media uh, and all the different messaging channels uh, is really changing the way um, customers are engaging with, with, with brands and organizations. So I think, I think that is here to stay. And it creates a whole bunch of challenges for organizations that they're not ready. And that's the reason why Sprinkler exists. Sure. Great. Thanks for that. Great, great insight. So I, I, I suppose as, um, as a kind of a closing statement, if I was to reflect on what we've spoken about today, I think, um, you know, the 33 CXOs, which was the very first series and the second series that we recorded, is all about the sales executives that have gone on to achieve such incredible things. They're obviously scaling some of the fastest growing technology companies in the world, and we're seeing incredible, incredible success. But I suppose what people don't appreciate is how adaptable they, they, they have been in being able to apply the playbook in so many different types of organizations across so many different industries and selling to such different verticals in such different ways and I think that what I've reflected on the most today is the importance of the pre-sales organization in being able to create that perfect that perfect partnership with the sales organizations to really figure out what was going on now in terms of yourself and your career and the way that you've grown and developed you've really gone out of your comfort zone and and taken on challenges that are really technically not within your strength and despite one of your playbook elements being wear the shoes of your customers to really understand their challenges what I think you've demonstrated more than anything is a mindset and because you've got the attitude to go and implement a playbook that you know works coupled with the mindset of really finding out and coming from a place of value, you've always been able to figure out the proposition which has enabled you to create unicorns and decacorns and have the success ultimately that you've gone on to achieve. We've seen it at Medallia. We've seen it at Apti. We've seen it at Sprinkler as a great example. So uh, today's been a truly great session it's really been very very informative we've taken so much from speaking with you today Devarka. thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today thank you guys this was fun it's always uh, good to reflect uh, learn from make mistakes learn from them 
and get better, right? Um, so it's, it's been a fun, fun conversation. Thank you. It was a fascinating conversation, Devaka. Thank you again. Awesome. Take care, guys. Have a good so- night. Yeah, thank you. So to our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed today's show. Please remember to subscribe and please comment, share, like. There's lots and lots of content available on our website. So please do check out so soapcom forward slash blog. And we look forward to welcoming you to another show soon. Thank you very much. 